Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled Sex Advice for Women, originally produced and published by Courtney of the Spa Trouvé Podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, Glowgetters, to the Spa Trouvé Podcast. I am so excited to be here with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife today. A little bit about Jennifer. Jennifer is a relationship and sexuality educator and coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois with a PhD in counseling psychology from Boston College. She also wrote her dissertation on LDS women and sexuality. She has taught college level courses on human sexuality and currently teaches online and sexuality courses and live workshops to LDS women and couples. She also offers coaching sessions to individuals who have benefited from her podcasts and maintains a private coaching and counseling practice in Chicago, where she now lives with her husband and her three children and is also an active member of the LDS church. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. And I guess, correction, you're now living in Vermont, which yeah. we just... well, we're just hanging out here during COVID. So for the, yes. we've been here since June. <laughs> trying to get, but... trying to endure this yeah. wild times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts prior to this, um, to our episode. And I just, uh, really honestly love the way you speak and I cannot wait for our listeners to get to know you a little bit more. So let's just dive right into it. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Mm -hmm. So what led you to specialize in sexuality as a therapist? Well, I think it, it was because I knew, I knew at a fairly young age that I really wanted to work with couples. It kind of fascinated me and it was it was just interesting for me to think about why some people were happy in their relationships and why others were not. And so once I started making that my focus and I had to come up with a dissertation topic, I was sort of at the same time asked to teach some undergraduate courses on human sexuality. You know, sometimes they'll ask PhD students to do um, teaching like that. So that then pushed me to start I was at a Jesuit school, Boston College. I was lots of Catholic students and I could see through their writing lots of conflict and turmoil about sexuality, especially among the women. And so it made me just start thinking more about LDS women's experience, what my upbringing had been. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of uh, made me, a lot of interest that I had like in feminism, women's issues, theology and faith. Those were all things that I cared about. Yes. And the quality of relationships. So it all just kind of came together and it was just so clearly the topic I wanted to do. <laughs> it just was like, this is what I want to figure out. And so um, so I wrote my dissertation on it and then it's just all history from there. So that, that just sort of became my focus once, you know, I was on a podcast in 2009 talking about my dissertation. And so then a lot of yeah. people reached out to me to come and start teaching and doing workshops and things like that. Well, it's clearly meant to be because you're so good at it. So thank you. Have you always wanted to be a therapist? 
I mean, as, as soon as I knew what one was about then is when I wanted to be one. I didn't, I don't think I knew that it, I was a social scientist from a young age. I was yeah. often watching and observing people and thinking about it. And then when I learned that therapy was something you could do and that I really loved the idea of it because a lot of my friends already were coming to me. Even adults would come to me when I was a teenager to get input. Yeah. You were like the <laughs> natural counselor. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of did that. But at first I thought, well, I'll, I'll work with kids because I couldn't imagine working with adults when I myself wasn't an adult. But then of course, when I became an adult, it was, it was more the focus that I wanted was adults and couples. That's, well, that's amazing. So what are people's responses when you tell them I'm a sex therapist? Do you get any funny things? Um, I usually try to not tell people that, that don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes yourself. at parties I get started being asked questions that I don't really want to answer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I, but what are people's reaction? I mean, fascination, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, um, you know, my, some of my kids have gotten teased by their friends when they figure out what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be great. That'd be a great resource. Yeah. Well, let's dive right into some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say are the top three concerns that women come to you with when they're seeking therapy, um, sexual, you know? Yeah. Health? Well, usually it's issues around sex, of course, and probably the most typical would be low sexual desire on the woman's side, inability to orgasm, Hmm. and your unhappiness in the relationship Hmm. and or in their lives in general. Mm -hmm. So those are definitely the typical presenting issues. And how do you address some of these issues? I mean, I know that could be a whole entire conversation on its own, but how do you address some of these concerns? Well, I mean, what I kind of do first is just to figure out why they're having the challenge they're having. So it really, it matters, you know, it's a big question you're asking, but I am at least first trying to figure out what do I think is happening that they're up against the challenge they're up against. Mm -hmm. So you know, I want to know what their relationship, let's say that the presenting issue is low desire. I want, I would want to know a bit about their relationship to their partner and who that, who he is, what it's like being in relationship to him. Is the low desire about the partnership? Is it about distrust of the partner? Is it that this person likes sex, but they don't like sex with their spouse? Hmm. Or is it that they may like their spouse, but they are anxious about sex and sexuality. It can be both sometimes. I'm anxious about sex and I'm anxious about my partnership as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out like, what is their relationship to sexuality and desire? How strong is their sense of self? You know, how, how do they feel in their own skin? Mm-hmm. How much do they want someone else to even know them? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, how much is it about what's happening in the relationship? Because a low desire profile is often somebody who isn't really, this is just one, but it's a common one, isn't really at peace with herself, hmm. has looked for a marriage or partnership to kind of be a validating source, which it hasn't been able to sustain. And so sexuality and desire 
feel more like you're doing something for the spouse than expressing something about yourself. And when yeah. it's in that frame, then people often don't want to be sexual. And so, so I'm, so the short answer, I guess, is that I'm trying to figure out what I think is happening. Cause then that definitely informs what I address with them. So I know you consult a lot of LDS, uh, women mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm LDS myself and mm-hmm. I just want to ask you, I think it's interesting that, you know, being LDS, you typically are not having sex before marriage. And then you mm-hmm. enter this temple marriage that is, you know, eternal and a lifelong commitment. And then, I mean, I've, I've heard this from some of my friends that, um, their sexual compatibility seems off or not Mm -hmm. what they expected. Mm -hmm. Um, do you find that a lot in LDS couples? I mean, I've even had some of my non-member friends say, um, gosh, how do you even marry someone without having sex? Cause it's such a huge part of the relationship mm-hmm. and exploring that and knowing that you have the passion there, mm-hmm. um, seems to be so important. So do you, do you deal mm-hmm. with that? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's so many layers to that question. I mean, I, what I would say is, first of all, I think it's not just an LDS thing. People can even be having lots of sex before they get married. And then once they're married, have children or a mortgage, things can feel and be different because the issues of selfhood and how much you feel like there's room for you to truly be yourself in the marriage highly impact desire and passion. Hmm. And a lot of people struggle with being able to do that, especially when someone starts to matter more and more to them. So rather than the impact that you might think if you're married to somebody and you have a mortgage, like who would be safer than them to share your whole self with? But in fact, because more is on the line, people actually have an easier time sharing themselves with strangers than they do with a person that is an important reference point for their sufficiency. Does that make sense? So if, if you live with somebody and you have kids with them, you actually can often try to mask who you are because it, there's too much to lose if they don't like who you are. So couples often start to strip away the intimacy and the authenticity to try to secure a sense of safety, but in fact, it makes the marriage less safe and more rigid. But so, so it's not just an LDS thing, but, but to go to the question of, of sexual compatibility, I think that, how to say it? I think couples are often much more complicit in their sexual issues, even premaritally than they recognize. Hmm. And, this could take a half an hour for me to explain. So I'll try to be as brief as I can. No, I love but, it. But somebody who's married may be the high desire partner, but still have tremendous anxiety about the legitimacy of sex. Hmm. And when you have a question about the legitimacy of sex, it can be easy to marry somebody that you already map as having her or his own ambivalence about sex. So it can play out like one's the high desire, but that doesn't mean that they really are at peace with this issue of sexuality. And one can be the low desire, but it's like they're playing out their ambivalence in two people Hmm. rather than each owning their ambivalence and taking responsibility for themselves in the sexual dynamic. And so like, let me see if I can make it a little more concrete. Like, um, you know, 
a typical female client for me would be somebody who has a lot of ambivalence about whether sex is even a good thing because she's grown up learning that good girls don't like sex that much. She has a lot of ambivalence about it. And the man she marries is somebody who she can tell is a little self-doubting, is not going to be high pressure, or that she can pull off not having a sexual relationship. Huh. Now, he might get married and resent that she never wants sex and be high desire by default in the sense that he's annoyed that she never wants it. Yeah. But it doesn't really stand up for having a more intimate relationship because he's got his own doubt about whether or not he's desirable, whether or not this is a good thing. So it's just easy to place it at the feet of the lower desire partner. Hmm. And that's just one of many different variations on this. But I think people can map more about their partner's comfort with sexuality than they even fully admit to themselves. Hmm. I don't know. I think you can tell a lot when you're dating. Yeah, it's almost like a sixth sense. Yes, it's even the way that you make out, even the way you make out. Like, do I feel at peace in myself and like, I could open up fully to this person, even though I'm choosing to wait? Mm -hmm. Or is there some part of me that's guarded? Or is there some part of me that feels kind of consumed by this person? But I'm sort of trying to not think about that because I, I want the marriage thing to come together. So a lot of times people are not dealing with what's there because of their own anxiety about sexuality. So they're kind of willfully blind to some of that energetic exchange that's happening. Yeah. So basically you're saying, I mean, to have a passionate sex life, you have to be extremely vulnerable and willing to basically give that person all that you are or open up mm-hmm. to them. and the passion kind of subsides because it gets scarier and scarier mm-hmm. the more invested you are mm-hmm. with that partner and so it's mm-hmm. easy to seek validation elsewhere mm-hmm. from someone who doesn't know you that intimately because it's less scary that's right And and what you present can be more superficial to your partner, more Mm. superficial, more, you know, some people just have a sexual script and they just do it over and over and over because they don't really want the intimacy of trying other things, the Mm. exposure of trying other things. I think in a lot of relationships, or maybe I'm wrong, but I do feel like women have a lot of um, sexual desire that maybe they don't bring out as much. It seems yes, that for, for sure. men, it's easier. And, um, I mean, I've heard, That's I've right. had a few of my friends say, uh, you know, I've never even had an orgasm and I'm like, okay, right. you've been married 12 years. Like this is a problem. Like, yeah. why, why don't you say something or try something yeah. different? Or, I mean, to me, that's like, what's the point then? Like, this is, that is not fun. So right. what, what's, what's, what are some tactical tools that you have for women to help them own their sexuality and do it in a way where their husband isn't, you know, left feeling deflated or not enough? Because I think that's the core root of them not wanting to say something mm-hmm. is they just, it's, it's more important that their spouse is fulfilled. And yeah. as long as he's okay, yeah, you know, everything's fine. And to just continue on that way. Yeah. Um, Right, exactly. I think that's what you're pointing to is this sort of complicity in a male focus. You know, it's kind of like, and a lot of women do that as well as the men doing that, you know, um, 
And so they kind of grew up learning that women, good women don't like sex or the man's going to seduce this pleasure out of you. So it's kind of in his hands. Yeah. And so there's often this focus. And if he's a good man, you have an orgasm or you have pleasure. So then women feel like they've got to kind of perform often for their man, for their partner to like kind of make him feel sufficient. And it's this whole dance of borrowed functioning. You know, it's very, um, it's like a tangle that's very hard to get out of unless you're willing to start being more honest. And so you know, the hard thing sometimes for people to start to deal with is to say, I really don't enjoy sex. I mean, as painful as that is to say, your partner already knows it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and if you can start to talk honestly about it, not with the goal of making the other person feel bad, but the goal of trying to understand what's going on and what's happening, you know, you have to be able to acknowledge what's been happening to change it into something healthier. And yeah. The only partnerships that really thrive is when there's, when, when you're taking into account both people, that pleasure is important for both people and that both people in that partnership understand that are in, and are invested in that. Hmm. And so, you know, taking ownership of your sexuality is, is just to take the mind shift. And this is what one of my online courses, the Art of Desire course is really all about this, which is shifting your psychological relationship to yourself and your sexuality. It's like a very, very important paradigmatic shift that you need to make because as long as you're in there doing it to be a good woman, to keep your husband from looking at porn, to just, you know, fulfill his needs because sex is his love language, all that stuff, uh, you never are going to want sex because it's not about, it's about propping somebody else up. It's not about bringing yourself into an intimate interaction. Right. And so the most important thing is how do I cut, how do I um, disabuse myself of some of these ideas that sexuality belongs to men? I mean, the open cultural secret is that women really do like sex a lot and that women are very sexual and that women have more sexual capacity than men do. Right. Men can orgasm more quickly, but women can orgasm multiple times and can have very deep and prolonged orgasms. And so when you keep the focus on the men, it can make men look really proficient because they've had their orgasm in two and a half minutes. Right. <laughs> yes. I mean, and men can, and can, men can feel desire more quickly because of testosterone. But if you, you, if you keep the focus on the man, it can look like the man knows how to be sexual and the woman doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of being complicit in something that's less intimate and the woman can hide behind her lack of arousal in that very short male focused bit of interaction rather than really expecting as a woman that your sexuality counts also and that the two of you can navigate creating a sexual relationship where you both can have pleasure and can bring your sexuality and create a dance that works for both of you. Mm-hmm. But for women, that takes that, that, you know, any good relationship a woman's in, she's, she can't ask for more respect than she has for herself. I mean, she can, a lot of us do that, but I mean, you generally don't get more respect from others than you have for yourself. And so you, you have to respect your own sexuality. 
So I, in one of the podcasts that I listened to, you suggested writing down, um, like things that you wanted to do in the bedroom or, um, and I really loved that. Cause I was like, I bet there are so many women out there that actually have some fantasies that never yeah. spit it out. Yeah. And I'm right. like, wow, like why not write it? I bet you uh, nine out of 10 or maybe 10 out of 10 times the husband will actually love that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or would love to see that. But it's, but you're right. It's very intimate. I mean, it's yeah. in the sense of it's very exposed. So one of the exercises in my art of desire course is what does your sexuality want? And you put your pencil to paper and you just let your sexuality talk and you don't take your pencil off the paper and you write for eight minutes. Right. And people are terrified to do it. They're like, what if I don't know? Well, just keep right. Say, I don't even know yet what my, <laughs> but just see what comes out. And what's really quite striking is so many people have said to me that they can't believe the things that are getting, getting written down on that piece of paper. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, because we are, women are so trained to not go there yeah. and not let ourselves kind of know our own erotic animalistic capacities. And, and, uh, and so when we don't even let ourselves know, it doesn't mean you have to do what's on the paper, but at least sort of knowing what this sexuality is that you've been trying to keep the brakes on. If you can yeah. just see it and observe it, then you might be able to make decisions that are more anchored into something that is integral to who you are. Right. And kind of start connection. owning this part again, not always be, you know, trying to shove your sexuality down and then wondering why it's so hard to get it off the ground when you're with your spouse. Right. Well, and that would definitely help spice things up if you're feeling like you're in a rut. Just oh, yeah. And, right. And One of the things I say to people is if you want to spice things up, just, just tell your spouse something tonight that you've always wanted to do, but you've been too afraid to suggest. Yeah. And that will spice things up. I love, I love, I love that. I, when I heard that, I was like, we have to talk about that because I think it's so true, especially as LDS women, there are some that are just afraid. I don't know. I want to say to let the, the cat out of, I don't know what I'm trying yeah. to say. But right. But, afraid to let this <laughs> knowable even to themselves. Yeah. And that, that can be a great way to do it. Um, yes. And I think sometimes um, in the LDS culture, you can feel maybe some shame around oh, yeah. those fantasies or um, like we're not supposed to do it that way or vanilla sex is the norm. Right. Righteous sex is just about yeah. eye gazing and rose petals and yeah. Right. Uh -huh. And we have it when we are supposed to have children and all that. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's a good message to be like, no, no, no. Yeah. Like erotic, passionate sex is very normal and healthy, yeah. no matter what. That's right. And culture. it's very good for a marriage and it's good for a soul too. I mean, you know, cause sometimes people are like, wait a minute, what if, you know, what if my fantasies are, you know, illicit in the sense that it's a, you know, fantasy of meeting up with a stranger or something like that. And I understand why people are afraid of those ideas because they're afraid. Like if I have that as an idea that even is exciting for me, does that mean that I really want to be that kind of person? And the answer is no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you may want to be that kind of person. I'm not saying it precludes you from being one to be that, but I'm saying that it's fantasy is its own kind of grown up play. And, and for some reason, 
human beings like to play with the forbidden in sex. They like to play with the forbidden. They like to play with power differentials. They like to play with innocence and, (laughs) you know, the seductor and the innocent female, those kinds of things. And who knows why? I really don't know why. (laughs) But that is the, the realm of the erotic. And I think when couples can play honestly together, you know, in this way, it's a very bonding experience because you're able to bring your whole weird self yes. to marriage and have yes. a landing place, right? Uh-huh. And have a yeah. friendship. Absolutely. And so what I ask is not so much what's the idea per se, but what does it create in you? And what does it create in your marriage? And how are you in relationship to the idea? I have some people who have an idea of what they want and then they're just, they're insulting of their spouse if she or he doesn't want to do what their idea is. And, you know, they, they do all kinds of damage. They want control. And so then they're like, I want you to do what I want you to do. And they do all kinds of damage. It's not so much the idea, but the way that they're in relationship to the idea and their partner that's destructive. So you have to think about who am I being? And is this creating a deeper friendship or is it in fact undermining the friendship? Interesting. Oh, well, I, um, I love that advice. Thank you. And you, you mentioned a book in one of your podcasts. It was called The 100... Oh, 101 Nights of Great Sex. Yes. Yes. 101 Nights of Great Sex. And I just thought, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy that book. Yeah. I think that's a good resource for anyone who's feeling, maybe it's a little vanilla. Like if you you feel embarrassed to write down your fantasy or something doesn't come to your head, then why not buy a book? Yep. Exactly. And so they have it like a his section and a her section. So you kind of surprise your partner with some idea. And I think you can get the app for it too. So it's, you know, it's, you can buy a book where they're like sealed sections. So you can't see what your partner's got (laughs) (laughs) or you can, or you can do it online and somehow you, you know, break, you break it open uh, electronically. And then there's other apps and things like that, that just give ideas for married couples that, you know, you can choose the level of risque. You can do just just a little bit above vanilla. <laughs> you can do just like chocolate chip level. <laughs> wow. So, so there's yeah. Rocky Road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The next level is Rocky Road. <laughs> we add the whipped cream. And it's like dark chocolate with dark. Cherry you know. on top. To dark. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, definitely need that up. <laughs> um, okay, I want to give you a few scenarios and have you just... Um, answer how you would or, or mm-hmm. help me out. Okay. So say we have a spouse that wants to be a little bit more kinky than another, say they love the toys or whatever mm-hmm. it is, the props. Mm-hmm. And the one is the other one is feeling, you know, a little bit inhibited or nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever have that situation and how do you sure. handle that? Well, I mean, one thing I kind of want to figure out is sort of what's going on in the inhibition and what's going on in the desire for, you know, to use your language, the kinkiness, like what, what's it about? Um, Is it, you know, sometimes in a marriage, in a marriage, the, the person that has the most anxiety sometimes is the one that runs the marriage. Right. And that is Mm. to say, so I'll just give you two different scenarios because how you address it's different. If it's this person is like, never make me uncomfortable because I'm prone to anxiety and depression. And so they kind of run the marriage and the sexual relationship from the bottom, from a one down position. And so that there's kind of like, don't make, if you love me, you will never make me uncomfortable. And so sex is kind of passionless and sterile because it's about not ever being challenged. 
Some people run the marriage from a place of control and entitlement and, you know, I want what I want and why are you so anxious all the time? Why are you broken? What's your problem? And so I'm very interested. You're going to always have differences in any couple just as a function of that we tend to marry different. We tend to marry somebody who we're drawn to the ways that they are not like us, in fact. Right. And so you don't, we generally don't want to marry somebody just like ourselves because we'd be bored and we'd mm-hmm. never get away with anything because you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. You've got to have safety and spice. You've got to mm-hmm. have both. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so a lot, it, the question in happiness in marriage is how do people handle the differences? So somebody could be more anxious and say like, look, that's never appealed to me, but I'm willing to try it once and just see, because maybe it would be more pleasurable for me than I realize, right? Yeah. So that would be somebody who's on the more anxious side, but is saying like, I'm open to you. I care about you. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to try it. But if she were to, let's say she were to try it a few times and say like, you know what? I just don't like it. If it's a good collaborative partnership, the higher desired person for whatever the new thing is would say, okay, you know, I, okay, that's fine. Like the, the higher desired person is flexible. I sometimes work with people that are obsessed with some particular thing they want. And the fact that they can't make their spouse do it, or she, I'm doing stereotypically here for a minute, because men are often the more adventurous ones because Mm -hmm. of that old testosterone. Right. But, um, but, uh, you know, that she maybe gives it a college try, tries a few times, and she says, I just don't like it. It's not pleasurable for me. It's not what I want. Yeah. They'll get obsessed with it because it's an issue of control, not about that this thing is really so awesome. It's that I can't have what I want, which makes me obsessively want it because mm-hmm. I want to feel that I have control. Mm-hmm. Makes and sense. so when you can't handle not always getting what you want, you're not going to be able to create a collaborative marriage. If you can't handle ever being uncomfortable because you're going to be stretched by a marriage partnership, uh, you will never have a good marriage because you won't be willing to stretch in ways to keep growing. So collaboration is that you're willing to make the goal of a partnership and a partnership that accommodates two people well enough is going to push both people to grow and both people to sometimes sacrifice their comfort or their desire for the greater good. Uh, But that is the way that good couples navigate that is they don't make any specific sexual behavior more important than being honest friends. Hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. I can totally see how that would be about control. Makes sense. Yes. Makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's another scenario. Say the wife is experiencing painful sex. Yeah. And afraid to admit it. And Mm -hmm. we're in the med spa industry and we do treatments for Mm -hmm. vaginal rejuvenation. I'm always shocked to discover the amount of women this affects. And it's not just older women. It's interesting. It could be women, you know, late twenties, early thirties, um, what can they do to help with this problem and how do they best address it? I mean, maybe this is more clinical. um, Yeah. You know, one thing I would recommend, so there's, there are psychological issues that can definitely be at play, but there can be physical and physiological issues. And so, you know, I would highly recommend anybody who's having painful intercourse to it, to at a bare minimum, address the physical part of it. Go to a women's health, women's sexual health doctor, and also a pelvic floor specialist. They can go to a pelvic floor physical therapist, and they often are working with vaginal muscles that are too tight 
and too uh, restricted in helping you to uh, consciously and deliberately relax the muscles around the vagina. Because, you know, the mind and body are so connected. I mean, mm -hmm. Descartes had this idea that the mind and body are separate and it's a little bit of a crazy idea. And I think the more that we continue to study medicine and psychology, the more crazy we'll realize that that idea is because the body knows. Like yes. The body knows. And it when does. you work with the body, it impacts the mind and vice versa. And so, you know, I've worked with clients where they, had painful intercourse and then start um how to say it, like they often have grown up in meaning frames where they almost as an act of loyalty and an act of fear depending on what their situation was their their body kind of shut their sexuality down to protect them interesting to protect them from being the wrong kind of girl to protect them from really opening up to a man and so I'm not saying that anybody with painful intercourse has psychological issues. I'm just saying that the psychological part can definitely be impacting yes. Yes. your body's responsiveness in sex. And so if you're not aroused and open emotionally, mm -hmm. it's going to hurt Yes, because you're not lubricating. And then if it starts to hurt and you keep having sex, even when it hurts, like Pavlovian's dog, your body becomes afraid every time. And so it's like you automatically go into a non-relaxed pos position and in a fearful position, which makes pain more likely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tools to help women? I mean, I, I know the mind body thing for women is real. And yeah. my husband and I actually talk about this because it's so easy. I mean, basically all you have to do is get naked and I mean, you're golden. And then mm -hmm. for women, I'm like, this is really a lot more than yeah. just, your naked body is great. But yeah. I <laughs> and most women don't even think that's true. Most that's women don't true. enjoy looking at men's bodies. Right. We're like, can you keep the towel on until we're ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could right. take a second. <laughs> um, but do you have any tool? I mean, to help women get into that mindset? Because I, I totally agree where when the mind is there, I mean, for me, it's like watching a really you know, a sexual movie or even getting to the place where I'm more relaxed, where um, the house is taken care of and yeah, uh, I don't have weird things on my mind. Um, yeah. It's such a huge question. I wish I could answer it briefly, but one thing I would say is I did do a podcast maybe a year ago and maybe I can try and link it at least on my podcast so people can, but on talking to a pelvic floor therapist around kind of how you can address the physical side of it. But emotionally, you know, again, my women's sexuality course, the Art of Desire course is so much about working with yourself to take a deeper sense of ownership of yourself in sex and a deeper sense of ownership of your desires and to be more fluent in the language of your own sexuality because so many people have been shoving it down and then their husband's in the mood and they're like, oh my gosh, like where on earth? Yeah. Am I going to get some erotic energy because yeah. I've been consciously pushing it down and I've been thinking about kids in school and laundry and there's not one bit of me that feels sexy right now, not because right. the woman's not sexy, but because she's not in that mindset. And so it's, it is at a minimum, and this is not a small thing, but it's a doable thing to really address your relationship to sexuality and eroticism to begin with. Then once you've kind of gotten that straightened up, 
you can start thinking about what are the what are the what's the way to say it like the fast passes to erotic energy for me yeah how do I get myself I skip the line right you know yeah yeah (laughs) and uh, and a lot of women who haven't let themselves think about it at all might struggle a little bit more with this at first because they haven't spent any energy thinking about it but the more you start thinking about what are the erotic ideas that turn me on what are the sexual scenarios or meanings that appeal to me when I'm watching a movie or reading a book Mm-hmm. What are the things that have happened in my own partnership that have really been the meanings that make me feel sexual? Because they exist within us. We just have to pay attention to them. Hmm. Because if you can start decoding your erotic template, well, then yes. you know how to move into that mindset. Faster. Faster. Like one of, either this is one that I've shared before in some of my classes, which is, uh, you know, I like the illicit, the, you know, they like that. I'm not supposed to be having sex. Idea. Oh yes. And uh-huh. so I mean, like many of us, <laughs> yes, because more, Good. because uh, marriage is so legal, right? You right. Know, it's like, it's, it's hard to, you got to kind of get out of that mindset. And so sometimes if I'm lying next to my husband and I have clients or kids or anything else in my head and he's maybe touching me, you know, the touching brings about physiological arousal. But to move into desire is you need to move psychologically. So women often have physiological arousal, whether or not they know it, before they have psychological arousal. So to move myself into psychological arousal, I might say to my husband, I really should get going. (laughs) I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. And then he'll say, no, just wait for one more minute. One more minute. and so there we go and so you know we just play out this (laughs) illicit scenario and you know and lo and behold like all the energy is there yeah it's in a meaning frame where it it can exist Uh uh-huh you just have to put yourself there yeah and it does take effort yeah it takes effort but it's like especially if you're comfortable with that some people might think oh how how can you do that as a woman thinketh so is she right like But, you know, but I think when you're comfortable with the weirdness of sexuality, you can just enjoy it and find it funny and pleasurable Yeah, and a silly part of being human. Yes. You can enjoy together. Yes, I agree. Uh, yeah. I'm all about the dress up. Let's, let's mm-hmm. do the dress up. Very fun. Huh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And lingerie is so often for women much more about their arousal than their husbands because it's like seeing themselves as sexual and attractive yeah you know and and sexuality is very focused on the female form not the male form like it is most men and women prefer looking at the female form yeah the Mm -hmm. women are so pretty I know when I when I have friends that have said you know I don't have lingerie or I'm like what is wrong with you (laughs) go get yourself some straps and look at yourself in the mirror (laughs) Yeah. You'll be you'll be good to go in five yeah, minutes. That's right. But yeah, it's so true. When you see yourself as beautiful and then your your own self is like, oh my gosh, like I actually have a lot to give. I do think it's helpful. So yeah, and maybe it's not lingerie, maybe it's a cute apron. We don't know. Oh yeah. Exactly. You know? What is the meaning for you that you know yeah, it's different yeah. for different people? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, this is such good conversation. I would like to do this again. I actually sure. have so many more questions to ask, but I, um, I just really appreciate you. I think, um, not just for LDS women, but just women in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an important conversation because like you said, um, we're capable, 
we're very sexual inside and we're very capable of um, having just as satisfying, if not more satisfying sex than men. And we shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed to talk about it and figure it out. Like we deserve this. Um, Absolutely. Because so much of women's peace with themselves and, uh, and strength lies in really being at peace with their embodiment, with their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And you really undermine a woman's confidence when you divide her from her own body. And yeah. sex is such a powerful way, good meaning sex, meaning positive meaning sexuality is a very powerful way to, to, to come more deeply um, into deeper peace with yourself. Yeah, well, my husband always says it's so much better for him when he knows I'm enjoying it. Oh, yeah. He's like, it's great and it's fine and I always enjoy it. He's like, but when you are enjoying it, it's like times five. And so Absolutely. I, I believe Absolutely. that. You know, Absolutely. like men want to be received, you know? Yeah, they do. I mean, women like to feel desired. I think that's, yeah. that's part of our kind mm-hmm. of, I think, social template and so on. But men want to n- not just be accommodated, they want to be received. Like, I like you. I like you here. I desire yes. you, you uh-huh. know? Totally. Especially because men do so much of the desiring overtly. Uh-huh. To know that they are desired is powerful. Yes, right. It's got to be a little exhausting to be on that end, to be honest. Yes. I thought oh, about yeah. that. I'm like so much pressure. Yeah. And That's just, right. I mean, some of it undeserved and That's right. like all those things, having to perform and yes. feeling responsible for the female orgasm. Like that is just yes. a lot of pressure. That's right. So, That's right. Yeah. I don't know. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us where our listeners can find you. Uh, shout out your social media sites and your website. I am going to enroll in your course, one of your courses. Great. I took the quiz. I'm doing it. I think Great. You know, awesome. That's I think awesome. No matter where you're at in your relationship, these could be beneficial. So yeah. yeah. So you can find me just at my last name, which is a hyphenated name. So I'm at finlayson-fife.com. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here. 